Welcome to the NC4 Podcast. We exist to know Christ and make Him known. Discover the power of a connected life by listening to this message from God's Word. Well, good morning once again, everyone, and thank you, Pastor Ellie, for that great video. It actually, by coincidence, has a good overlap with the message that I want to bring to you all this morning. I want to ask you three questions. What habits are you immersed in? What are they training you for? And what is the value of the life that you'll have on the other end? These are three coaching questions that we find in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 4 as the Apostle Paul is writing to his younger protege, Timothy, who was a pastor in the city of Ephesus. And I think they're a great starting point as we begin this new year for taking inventory of our lives. So just for a few minutes, I want us to reflect together on this passage on what you could call how to live by heart. And we'll find out what that means as we go into this. But let's turn to 1 Timothy. And we're going to read from chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. And I'll just make a, a comment or two along the way. So this is Paul writing to Timothy, and he says, Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. And so Paul here, he's, he's referring back to some of the things that he's talked about earlier in the letter, especially some of the unhelpful religious distractions that people in Timothy's church were trying to get him to focus on. But as he says in chapter 1, those are going down that path, it's bad stewardship of what God has given you. So don't waste time on that. He says, rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end, we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, to teaching, Do not neglect the gift which was given to you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. So the first question that we're asking this morning is, what are the habits that you're immersed in? What are the habits you're immersed in? Well, I think in a sense, the longer you're immersed in something, the less you're able to see it. And I think we're mostly blind, even as we ask that question, it's kind of hard to answer because we're mostly blind to the things that we're immersed in because we, we, we swim in those things. But even though we can't see it, I feel like we can still feel it. Do you ever feel like life is just happening to you? That's exactly how I feel whenever things just get super busy and there's no time to reflect, to to slow down, to plan ahead. It feels like life is just this onslaught that is happening to me. And 
many of you have done the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality courses, and one of the things that you learn in that course is that a huge source of anxiety in our lives is trying to live as if we have no limits. And I can definitely attest to that. And that's exactly how it feels when I'm trying to live life without limits. Now, the result of that, when you live life without limits, is that you, you just constantly feel depleted. You feel like life is happening to you. So what is it that drives that? Well, I think a big part of it is that we live in a culture obsessed with productivity. It's always go, 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 produce, produce, produce. And so in a million little ways, everything around us reinforces this, this kind of subtle message that productivity is the ultimate measure of a person's value. Now, no one really goes out and says that outright, but it's a message that you find out, you find it reinforced almost everywhere you turn. I mean, just think about the fact that we measure the health of our nation, the health of our economy on something called gross domestic product. How much are we producing? And we, we turn that into a measure of how well we're doing as a country. And where that's true, when you're living in a place where that's true, it's not a very huge leap to begin to say, well, what am I producing? What's the measure of my value through what I'm producing? And if I'm not producing and I'm not continually increasing my production, then we begin to feel like our value is suspect. And so it's not like, again, it's not like anyone else is really saying this outright. It's not something that we necessarily see, but I think it is something that we feel. And we feel it in that anxiety of this constant productive mindset, living as if we have no limits. It's just part of the water that we swim in. And so we're immersed in this way of thinking almost everywhere we turn. And the more immersed we become, the harder it is to see it. And so it's not really surprising that that same mentality begins to turn up in the church too. How many people measure a successful church or or a church that's really providing value by things like the number of people that attend? Or is the church growing? How much are people giving? Is the giving increasing? Is the church building something new and exciting? How many programs does it run? How popular are its leaders? How many books has the pastor written? And so on and so on and so on, right? And so when we're in a church context like that, again, we can begin to ask ourselves, well, how much am I serving? How many people have I led to Christ? How many hours in Bible study and prayer have I spent? And if for some reason I haven't hit whatever I think is the mark in those things, then I begin to question my value as a Christian. And without even knowing it, we immerse ourselves in this thought that successful Christianity is measured by productiveness. Well, what I want to tell you this morning, on January 1st, is that all those measures, as good, as desirable as they might be, they're not actually necessarily measures of a successful Christian life. As good, as desirable as those measures may be, they're not necessarily evidence of a successful Christian life. Well, how can I say that? 
I know it. I, I know that's true because when you look at the Gospels, when you look at Jesus' interaction with the Pharisees, Jesus even tells them they excel in all of those measures. And yet he also tells them they were far from the kingdom of God. Jesus never said, you will know them by their productiveness. He said, you'll know them by their fruit. And so here's the truth that we should immerse ourselves in. God calls us not to productiveness, but to fruitfulness. And you say, Ian, come on, they're kind of the same thing, right? It sounds like a distinction without a difference, but it's not. Productiveness and fruitfulness are not the same thing. And I want you to think about this. Think about Galatians where Paul writes about the fruit of the Spirit. What does he say that fruit is? He doesn't say a hundred converts or a thousand meals served to the poor or 3,000 hours spent in prayer and Bible study. When Paul lists the fruit of the Spirit, he doesn't list activities. He lists qualities. He says the fruit of the Spirit, it looks like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Not activities, but qualities. And so his definition of fruitfulness, it's not activities that a person does, but qualities that a person becomes. If productivity were the measure of Christian success, then you immediately start into run, you immediately start to run into problems. I mean, what about the poor or the sick or the persecuted? And if you think of the Beatitudes, when Jesus preaches the Sermon on the Mount, not a single one of the Beatitudes would you naturally associate with a successful life. He says, blessed are those who, who mourn, who are in poverty, who are in humility, who, are, who hunger, who are being persecuted. None of those things lines up with our typical vision of what success means. But the point that Jesus is making is that success and fruit in the Christian life, it's not measured in the same way that you measure it in the world. But he says, if you're in the kingdom, then you're blessed. You're able to be fruitful even when you're not able to be productive. You're able to be fruitful even in the midst of poverty or humility or hunger or persecution. So contrary to what our surroundings tell us, productivity is not the measure of blessedness. And there's going to be seasons in your life where you can be extremely productive. But then sickness or tragedy or circumstances outside of your control can very quickly swoop in and rob you of all that productivity. But the good news is that even in the seasons where your productivity is on hold and you begin to doubt, well, am I really, you know, adding any value to the kingdom? Am I, am I a successful Christian? We all can think those things in those moments, but even when our productivity is on pause, Jesus tells us your fruitfulness never has to be on pause because it's not about your productivity. It's about your fruitfulness. It's about the qualities of your heart and not the activities of your doing.
So how do we grow, not just in activity and productivity as we enter this new year, but grow in fruitfulness? And so that leads us to the second question, which is, how are your habits training you? And I've been reading recently in the, in the lead up to, to the new year, I've been reading this new book called The Intentional Year by Glenn and Holly Packiam. Glenn Packiam was a speaker at our network conference a couple of years ago. And it's a great and really practical book, just thinking through ways to intentionally grow, not in activity, but in fruitfulness of character. And so this is our second question really is, how are your habits training you? Because when Paul writes to Timothy, what he points out is that the, the things we're immersed in, the automatic behaviors of life, the things that we do day in and day out without thinking, a lot of times we don't really think of them as being valuable or important because they're not the, the, the big moments, the, you know, the big public gestures. So they can seem insignificant, but the reality is it's those things more than anything else that are actually shaping us through the majority of our lives. We're not just human beings, we're humans becoming. We're constantly becoming. We're constantly growing. But as, uh, as the Pachyums point out in this book, one thing that every farmer knows is our next point, that nothing valuable grows on its own. Nothing valuable, nothing that you want to grow, grows on its own. All it takes for weeds to grow up in the crop is just to let things go. Just let nature take its course and everything will continue growing, but most of it will not be things that you actually want to grow. They're certainly not going to be valuable to you. So all you need for weeds to grow is to let nature take its course, but for fruit to go, to, to, for fruit to grow, it takes intentionality. And so Paul's saying to Timothy, notice the things that he says to him. He says, pay attention to the habits that you're immersed in. Pay attention to the things that you're practicing daily. And he doesn't really, he doesn't mention anything, you know, fantastic. He's not talking about raising the dead and healing the sick. He's talking about very mundane things. Reading scripture, teaching people, loving people, having faith, all of these things. He says, these are the things that are training you in godliness. And if you want to be trained in godliness rather than worldliness, if you want to be fruitful and not just busy, then you need to take inventory of your habits. You need to take a close look at what are the habitual practices of your daily life and how might those things be shaping you. So the start of the new year, it's the perfect time to do this. It's a natural time as you transition from one year to the next. It's something that many of us probably already do, but I, I, I bet most of the things that we focus on tend to be the things that we want to achieve. What are the ways that we can be more productive? Do less of the things we don't want to do. Do more of the things that we do want to do this year. But what if we focused our hearts right at the top of the year on growing, not just in our activities and our productivity, but in our fruitfulness, in our character? And so we have all kinds of intentions at the start of the year how can we intend to grow in fruitfulness? And, and Paul points out five key areas that I'd like to turn, turn our attention to right now. And I want to turn them into inventory questions that each of us can take away 
and reflect on and examine our own hearts and lives with. We can't go into massive detail. I do recommend this book and, and plenty of others that I can recommend you, but you can take these five things as kind of a starting point for your own reflection as you begin the year. So think of this as our fruitfulness inventory. And there's five things. It's what Paul mentions in the passage, speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. Let's take inventory of our fruitfulness in each of these things. So first of all, Paul highlights speech. Well, think about what are the habits of your speech? What are the habits of the things that are coming out of your mouth day to day? Particularly, what is the story that you find yourself telling about God? Does he come up? Does God enter into your daily conversations? If he does, notice how you talk about him. What are the things that you talk about? How do you find yourself describing your walk with God? How do you find yourself describing the place or the people that he's put you in the midst of? Now, the reason it's important to pay attention to those things and those habitual things that we're saying is that the conversation that we have shapes our reality. The conversation shapes the reality. The things that we say, the conversation that we have about our reality, about our surroundings, about the things that matter to us, they shape our perception and our experience of that reality. And so if you find that the things that are coming out of your mouth regularly, if you find that they're framed in terms of lack or deficiency or or longing or joy or whatever it might be, Those things are shaping your perception. They're shaping your reality. So the question is, how can you more intentionally speak the goodness, the truth, the beauty of God? And as we do that, as that becomes our habit, we find that we're training ourselves to see how God sees We're training ourselves in the truth according to the Beatitudes, that despite the the circumstances of life that would not line up in many cases with a view of success, that actually when we see with God, when 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 our conversation is shaped by God's words, we begin to see what God sees and we see blessedness in every situation in the kingdom of God. So what are your habits of speech? Secondly, what are your habits of conduct? How do you conduct your life? Is there any godly intentionality to the ways you spend your time? You spend your money? You spend your your talents? We can often have great intentionality when it comes to the big things or the the special occasions and all those things. And what about the daily activities? If you were to look at the percentage of how you spend your time and your money and your, all those things, what would your conduct, your habitual conduct in life, what would it have to say about your intentionality of growing in godliness? Much of the time we think that those kind of things, they're innocuous, but 
isn't that just life happening to us? If we treat most of the things that happen in our daily life just as neutral, just as innocuous, then what happens is life is shaping us rather than us shaping life through our intentionality. Are we swimming, immersed in a false way of measuring our value and significance? Because that's what begins to happen as we unthinkingly or unintentionally go through our daily life. And so I can give you just, I want to give you one example in a culture like ours that's obsessed with productivity, it actually becomes a countercultural statement to actually practice Sabbath rest. It's one of the Ten Commandments. <laughs> no one's going to give you a hard time for, you know, not killing someone or, you know, not lying or, or well, sometimes they will, but most of the time, all of those things are perfectly fine, but a countercultural statement in our culture is to practice what God says in terms of rest. You know why? Because it undercuts this, this spirit of productivity or this idol of productivity, I should say, not a spirit. People begin to say, well, what do you mean you can't do the meeting on that day? What do you mean you can't answer my email? You say, well, today's my Sabbath. This is the day I set apart to be with God, to, to, to enjoy his creation, to rest. And so that kind of statement can easily produce friction with the world around us. But what you see is when you begin to honor the limits that God's placed on us as his creatures, when we begin to honor them and live, live as if they actually exist and that they're put in us for our own benefit, then what happens is we begin immersing ourselves in God's way of reality, God's view of reality in the same way. So the question is, how can you inject intentionality into your conduct, into your personal and family life this year? And if you don't already, you don't already set aside a day for rest, for, for reflection, for enjoyment, to Sabbath with God, then that's a great place to start. Thirdly, Paul highlights love. So speech, conduct, and love. And the question is, we're going to go through these next three um, much quicker, but with love, the question begins, how are we practicing love? What are the habits of our love? And so when we're speaking biblically, we're not talking about sexual attraction or kind of romantic affection. We're talking about love measured by how much we give of ourselves for the good of others. So the Bible tells us that love was shown to us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so the ultimate value, the ultimate measure of love is giving yourself in love to the unlovable. Just as Jesus did on the cross. And so how are you practicing that? How can we make a habit of practicing love in that way? Fourthly, Paul says, the habit of faith. And I want to put it like this. Is there anything in your life that requires you to put something on the line in order to trust God? Faith means trust, and trust can't work if there's no risk involved. If there's nothing on the line, then trust can't exist. 
And so, is there anything in your life that requires you to put something on the line for God today? And I don't just mean kind of your eternal destiny, because a lot of times that's just, it, 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 it's not abstract, but it can feel a bit abstract in the day-to-day. What is there in your life right now, in your, in your day-to-day life, that requires actual risk to trust God? Where might God be calling you into a riskier relationship with him? Is there anything active in your life and goals that requires God in order to be successful? Where you might look like a fool if God doesn't come through. Those are markers of a faith risk. You could also ask it like this. Where are you withholding the trust that you know you really should extend God. And fifthly, so we've got speech, conduct, love, faith, and lastly, purity. I think a lot of times we think of purity, you automatically think I'm going to talk about, you know, what are you watching? What are you, you know, consuming? But Jesus says it's not what goes into a person that makes them impure, but what comes out of a person. Jesus says real purity is about the condition of our hearts. Because you could only consume the purest of pure things, and yet Jesus says your heart can actually be completely turned towards evil. And so when we talk about purity and habits of purity, we're talking about what is the wellness of your heart? How well is your heart? Look at your attitudes. Look at your feelings. Look at your reactions to people the things around us? How can we be intentional in cultivating gratitude and cultivating joy in the Lord and cultivating a right state of heart of purity before God? So Paul gives us these five key areas of internal and external things in our lives to take inventory, to be intentional if we want to have a life of fruitfulness in God. Not just activity, but fruitfulness. And so he tells Timothy some specific practices related to his calling as a pastor and a teacher. What he tells to Timothy is, he says, dedicate yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the ministry gift that you were given. He says, those are the things that have to shape your practices. Your ministry gift has to shape the practices. And so, as you're thinking about these five kind of key areas of taking inventory, all of us have been given given different ministry gifts. And all of us, what that means, therefore, is that the things that will be practices for us are going to be different as God's shaping us in different ways. So, the practices that are going to bring fruitfulness to me and my character are going to be different to the ones that bring fruitfulness in your character. And that has a, a large, in large part to do with your ministry giftedness. So Timothy was a preacher, a pastor and a teacher. You might be an evangelist. You might be a, a, an apostle. You know, you just want to go out there and do new things for God and be entrepreneurial in the kingdom. Well, the practices for you to bring fruitfulness in your life and ministry are going to look different. And so it's not, about, it's not about just copying what's fruitful in another person's life. It's about taking inventory with God and asking the Holy Spirit, what are the new things I can be intentional about 
that will bring fruitfulness to these areas of my life. We all need to find the habits that fit the person that God is shaping within us. And here's the point, that by learning the habits of Christ, we begin to live by heart rather than by mere effort. And what I mean by living by heart is in the same way that when you're first learning a song or you're first learning a dance, use the example of dance. When you're first learning it, it's all by effort. You're, you're kind of painfully aware of learning the steps, learning the rhythm, making sure it all fits and it goes just right. And so you're doing it by effort. There's a lot of effort involved, but the more and the more you practice it, the more you go through the steps, eventually you begin to dance the dance by heart. You no longer feel so much effort involved. Now you're doing it naturally because the practices are no longer external to you. You've internalized them and you can do them by heart. And so as we practice the habits of Jesus's life, we're internalizing the things that made him the kind of person that he was. And the more we do that, the more we can walk in step with the Spirit, practicing the habits of the life of Jesus, we begin to live by heart the way that he is. And so I bet you the holiest people that you know are probably the least conscious of their holiness, of, of the, the practices that are actually fruitful in, in, in the Spirit, in their lives. Why? Because they've simply become natural. They've become part of their dance. Just like learning any new habit, the, the process goes like this. You go from unconscious incompetence, and then you start learning and you become consciously incompetent. And then you, you, as you get it, you get the hang of it a little bit, you become consciously competent. And then the more and more you do it, the more and more you master the steps, you become unconsciously competent. And so... The more and more we walk of the Spirit, the less we see of ourselves and the more people begin to see Him in us. So I'm going to close with this question, which is, we've looked at how are your habits, what habits are you immersed in? How are your habits training you? And the question is, what is the value of the life that you'll have at the end of those habits. If you took the habits that you have right now in your life and you extended the trajectory out to the end of your life and imagine the kind of person that they've shaped you to become, what does that picture look like? Is it a valuable picture? Is it something you want? Is it productive or is it fruitful in the spirit? Paul says, train yourself in godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, so, you know, whether it's exercise or, or education or, you know, dieting or all the things that are focused on the body and our, on our, our, our earthly training, those things are of some value. He doesn't deny the value, but he says godliness is of value in every way because it holds promise not only for the present life, but also for the life to come. Because when we enter God's presence in the new heavens and new earth, our character before him has been shaped by all the practices in our life right now. And so he says, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end, we toil and strive because we've set our hope on the living God 
who is the savior of all people, especially of those who believe. So as we begin this new year, I want to encourage you to take inventory of your habits. What are they? How are they shaping you? What's the life that you're going to have at the end of that? And here's a question that you can ask. You can say, Holy Spirit, where would you have me be more intentional in this season? Don't do this alone. This is not just another kind of journaling technique. This is an opportunity at a, at a transition of a new year to spend time with God and, and sit with the Holy Spirit and ask, show me the things, show me the areas of my life where I can be more intentional in becoming fruitful in the kind of person that you want me to become. You can ask him, why, why do you have me in this place? What's the purpose that you have for me in this season? What are the purposes that you want to work in me, not just through me? So take some time, this, right this week, this first week of the year, take some time to spend with the Lord and take inventory. And come out of that, design some new ways to be intentional and to set your intent on him. And as we do this, my prayer for us as a church, for all of you who've joined us this morning, that this would be the year where we begin to learn to live the life of Jesus by heart. And may our success as we do that be measured not by our productiveness, but by our fruitfulness in the Spirit. Let's pray as we close our service this morning. Lord Jesus, we want to offer up this new year to you. Lord, whatever season we might find ourselves in, whether it's a season of productivity or whether it's a season where productivity is withheld from us for whatever reason, Lord, we thank you for this truth that that is not actually the measure of successful Christian life. But the measure is the work of fruitfulness that you're doing in our hearts, Holy Spirit. So Lord, as we intentionally set aside some time, would you meet us? Holy Spirit, would you reveal to each of us in our hearts, in our families, in our community, the areas where our habits need to become more intentional to shape us into the kind of people that you've destined us to be, Lord. We thank you for that opportunity. We thank you for the joy that it is to walk with you, to know you, Lord, to be called your sons and daughters. We are so blessed beyond measure. And we offer this year to you. Take it, Lord. Do it. Do with it what you will through us and in us. In the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen and amen. Be blessed and enjoy the rest of your day. And we look forward to gathering again in person next week on the 8th at both campuses, 10 a.m. I'll see you there. Love you and be blessed. Thank you for listening to the NC4 podcast. For more info, visit our website at nc4.org. We believe in the power of a connected life. If you prayed to give your life to Jesus today, we'd love to help you walk it out together. Just text the word Jesus to 610-816-6062.